Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Mastering Dungeons. I'm Sean Merwin here with the happy as always Teos Abadia. Hey Teos, how's it going? I am happy. It's called sleep deprivation because my work keeps giving me these like 5 a.m. calls and then I've got a Kickstarter that's launching. And so between those two forces, it is just uh, there's only one way and it's the happy way. <laughs> well, yeah, I I felt so bad because I tried to access our podcast email this morning and it did the double authentication thing, which goes to your phone. And I went, oh, no, I fear I woke Teos up. Oh, I hope he could sleep through that. And then I look and I see you messaging me back. I'm like, oh, it's it's 5 a.m. where Teos is. He's awake. That's probably not a good sign. Yeah, I was talking shipping labels as one does. Sweet. Sweet. Well, rather than talking shipping labels, I think we should talk about D&D and role-playing games today. What do you say? Um, I am a big fan of that. Let's do it. So we're going to do our news and commentary section. And for our main topic, we are going to bring in James Intracasso and Rudy Basso to talk about their book, A 5E and Zweihander Adventure called To Be or Not to Be a Villain which is a game product based on Hamlet. And you will hear all about that when we talk to Rudy and James in our next segment. But right now, some daddy shakes. Exactly. Exactly. The bard, as they say, the original bard, apparently, I don't know if he could, uh, you know, give inspiration to people, but apparently Hmm. he's been doing so for a few hundred years. Well, we have D&D news first. We're going to start with the one D&D playtest. We'll first talk about what they said, they being Jeremy Crawford in particular, about the feedback they've gotten so far. And then we'll dig into the latest Unearthed Arcana playtest packet. So what does Jeremy have to say about the future of one D&D playtesting? I will let Teos fill you in. Yeah, so, you know, this was a different kind of video. If you watch the previous summary video, this one on the 1D&D Cleric, I thought was a little more grounded. Um, You know, maybe they've heard some of the feedback about how last time was sort of so glowing they had to go, really? Um, This, they they did share that the Goliath was popular with its new emphasis on giant themes. Um, And the the revised Dragonborn is now well-received. So these both had scores that were in the 80s for Jeremy. But then they went on to say that the Ardling did not score well and, quote, its time has not yet come. So maybe we'll see the uh, beast-like Ardling in some future product. But one of the things they said is that it it felt like it didn't have a story connection, which I agree with. Seems weird as a sort of starting creature rather than a story-centered creature. So it may be that we see it in some particular product uh, rather than being in the core rules. Yeah, it's funny because the surveys, you know, for me, surveys are only as useful as the people who take them. So, you know, do we know who is taking the survey? Is it just the experienced player who only cares, not only cares, but is so steeped in the history of D&D that to see an Ardling, they're just like, well, the Ardling is not my D&D character, so therefore I don't want to see an Ardling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If we had a survey of only players of a certain age and under, or of a certain right who 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 came to the survey in a different way, you know, maybe they would love the Ardlings, and right. we they would say the Goliaths are something else. So, yeah, 
you know, it's it's odd for me to see the results being well. You know, you know how surveys are, right? If you show someone the results of a survey, the first thing they're going to do is critique the survey. Sure. And I don't care who you are. I don't care if you make surveys for a living and are the master of survey creation. Someone's going to say, oh, your, your data is flawed because your survey is flawed. Yes, though, I think that on top of that, you know, when I look at these surveys and I have I've only taken, you know, a course or two in, in survey design. My wife has taken a lot more, so I rely on her knowledge. But when I look at these surveys and when I share them with her, uh, often I, I say, well, that doesn't you're not asking the question that gives you the answer you're looking for. And, and so, the, you know, there is an art and a science to survey design. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought it was very interesting in this video. They shared that they are looking at the comments. And I think they said this somewhat to sort of prove like, hey, we really are reading the comments. Um, but mm -hmm. but their comment was, you know, something might be rated five stars. But when you read the comments, the comments are all very ho-hum. Right. And so then we realize there's work to be done. And, and I'm glad that they're looking at that and comparing it. But I, I, you know, I go back to, well, you may not be writing, asking the right questions because people right. are rating something five stars. But, you're, you know, because they don't understand what you're really asking. And, and that is the, the real crux of survey design is to make sure that you are not driving a particular result or hiding, you know, an emotional response that kind of you're, you're trying to get the accuracy of it out. And, and so, you know, I think there's work to be done there. I would I keep saying I would love if they were to hire an actual survey design company and work with them on these um, to be better. The other thing is, I think that with D&D Next was really good at getting people from lots of different places because you had things like store programs like D&D Encounters switching to D&D Next so that all those people, whether they followed D&D news or were on mm -hmm. the internet or whatever, they're like, oh, there's a play test. Oh, I can be a part of it. I will go find that survey, right? There's nothing like that. This is only being broadcast to the people who are part of the community. And that is a really small group with a particular style of play or, you know, or at least a, a more yeah. focused. And th that's a hard thing when you're not able to get to the larger reality. Yeah. And I think it's even harder with something like this, like a role-playing game design, when there are so many different aspects to a role-playing game and how you interact with a role-playing game that, you know, you could say, how did you like this? And does like mean, do I like the story behind it? Do I like the way the mechanics work with the game as I understand it? Do I like this type of character? So therefore I will like it, right? There, there's so, there's so yeah. much to make. I, I feel like to make a true survey, to get the answers that you might need, you're going to be making surveys that go on for two hours, uh, and and you know what your point is exactly it right too. It's who is taking this, who has the link to it. It's the most invested players coming to the websites. And there was an interesting example of this when discussing this sort of difference between the ratings and the comments. They particularly mentioned the jump action, and that the mm -hmm. feedback was not very positive in the comment section, even though the score was fine. So the jump action is currently out, right? It is gone from the, right. the glossary, to which I say, you didn't really ask questions, though. So like, how do you really, you know, like, right. it's only the comments now that you can rely upon because you never really asked 
a, a, a detailed question about this. And so I worry that this, you know, it, it's really hard to get data from there. So we'll, we'll see. Hopefully right. over time, this kind of keeps improving. Um, on the cleric, which was the, you know, one of the biggest parts of this, they said that there was a lot of positivity around features such as the Holy Order concept, but there's a lot of work the team will need to do to keep drilling and make sure the revision sings for people who like clerics. And I thought that was a little interesting, the angle of sort of like writing for people who like a thing is an interesting angle. I, I don't know whether that's good or bad, but um, but that idea of sort of, you know, like yeah. I'm writing a fighter for a person who likes fighters. But I, yeah, I don't, is that good maybe? I don't know. Right. And, and that's why, that's why this whole idea of the survey I I'm fine with it in terms of asking people what they like, because people will like different things and there doesn't have to be a lot of reasoning behind what you like. You just like it. When you're building a role-playing game, you're building a machine that needs to work in a certain way to get the results that you are expecting, but from that machine. And when you start to, sort of group think this machine that needs to work with a little bit of precision, at least you're asking for trouble by trying to build something to please everyone. Yeah. And in the long run, all you're doing is either adding things to the machine that make the machine run more inefficiently yeah. or you're breaking the machine and it's not going to work at all. Yeah, and one last thing on the general level, they talked about the 2023 UA schedule and said it's going to be every few months, right? So I think the original concept was sort of like, oh, we're going to have a plate test every month, and then that sort of wasn't being hit. And so they've now released one, and then there's going to be another one in April, and, and then it'll be, you know, so maybe every other month. Um, they are also saying people are asking for more time in between releases and bigger releases, to which I say, where did you ask this question? <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Is it just the people who thought to say this? Like, you know, that that's if, if this is good, if, if you want feedback, that should have been a survey question. I don't right. you know, otherwise it's not. I mean, it may not be science anyway, but it's certainly not science if just random people thought to say this, because that's going to be people who are complaining rather than any way of right. measuring it. So but or maybe it's just Jeremy explaining this is what we're going to do and saying it in a nice way. But, um, right. you know, OK, I, so we're, I think. I, yeah, I think it's not a coincidence that the thing people were asking for mm. is the thing that probably works best for Wizards of the Coast yeah. in terms of getting this out in a way that you can say you play tested while still meeting a 2024 schedule. Yeah, and I think it is neat that they're saying uh, that future videos will come out that will be sort of masterclass videos and evergreen design videos. So the idea of sharing more of how they're approaching things, I think that's good, especially if they can help everybody understand, you know, the challenge of these things rather than, than sort of making it too marketing focused, that could be really useful and, and attract a lot of people to sort of look at how they approach the design could be cool. Mm -hmm. I totally agree there. And so that video aside, we got a new Unearthed Arcana playtest packet, including the Druid and the Paladin. And so is it just me as a DM, you know, and game designer and person who loves to mess around with rules? Do, does all this stuff and even stuff we're seeing of the 5e compatible, you know, other games that are coming out are just sort of moving pieces around on the same board? I mean, 
And sometimes that's a little desirable, right? Because you're trying to sort of stay within the concepts of, of, of the RPG. You want it to feel like a cohesive addition. So therefore, it's, you know, you're moving units around. You know, we see that with proficiency bonus, right? Where it was like so overused because it sort of became like the way to do it. And now they're taking a look at it and saying, well, maybe we'll back off of proficiency bonus in some cases because we're realizing it, it isn't the right tool for every job. Um, mm-hmm. I liked the Druid. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say it. Uh, so let's talk about what it is and, and the reaction so far, which a lot of it. I So you were the one. I'm the guy. Yeah. Uh, and I'll tell okay. you why. I'll defend myself to the end of days. Um, though I'm very biased, I'll be right up front because this is honestly sort of this is the basis of what I've actually always wanted for the Druid in 5e, going back to the DD next play test. But what they've done is they've basically said that Wild Shape they've sort of renamed it a bit so that it's channel nature and this makes it a, something that you could use in various ways over time, kind of a and, and so they're making it a a thing you could use that's not just wild shape it's a little bit larger wild shape is a way you use your channel nature and the big part is it now uses a stat block that is a core stat block and what exactly is on that stat stat block will sort of change as you level but you're no longer going into the player's handbook appendix or into the monster manual or into every single book that's ever been published with a beast in it to find what your possible shapes are. And that has a lot of people angry because a lot of people, especially I think very invested people, love that level of granularity. And, and, but it's not just old people, you know, experienced people, not old people. Um, I've heard stories shared with me of, you know, new people who, casual players who just love going through the monster manual and picking out creatures and stuff. Um, I personally think that while for sure some people like that, I like that. I think that's a a real barrier to playing the class that you're supposed to go off and hunt down all of these things. I also think that it is disappointing to look at the list of creatures you can change into and realize that, you know, stat block A and C are just optimal all the time. (laughs) And so, you know, to choose another one is almost like a mathematical error. Uh, you have to decide to not be optimal because it's just so obvious that you should be this thing. And you see Druid characters using the same forms over and over again. Um, so I like the idea of a common stat block. What I would like to do is customize it so that it really felt like a different creature and didn't feel boring. But I, but I like it. I don't know. What do you think, Sean? I, despite like the last character I played being a Druid, I am at the phase of my career, and I've said this a thousand times, where I want to see a simpler game that you can do more with rather than a more complex game that you end up doing the same thing with. And I think with this Druid, we are at the point of where we're at the same thing. What I would love to see, no one else is going to like this. What I would love to see is the Druid becoming a subclass of the Cleric and the subclass features of the druid are all about wild shaping. Hmm. You can still play the druid, get the wild shape, but you don't have to add all of this other stuff to it. To So you, you've got a full complement of spells just like a wizard would, but you can also do this wild shape 
which is a whole, now we're, we're dedicating all this time and design energy and trying to figure out the best way to do it. And some, you half the players are going to be mad regardless of what you do, For right? Sure. If you allow any choice whatsoever, it becomes hard to use. I, I like the idea of having a, like you said, a stat block that's a little bit malleable to, to do different mm-hmm. things with. Uh, but, you know, you're not going to make anyone happy because there are so many different ways yeah. to play this. Uh, so, you know, in that sense, I want to, I, I just, I said this on the lore cast last night and I felt bad after I said it. And here I am saying it again, right? I want to know what the point of all of this is. What's the point of all this redesign and let's yeah. figure out the best way to get to that point. Well, I, I will say, to me, this is sort of the first time that I have seen the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would argue that here in both the Druid and the Paladin, they've actually said, hey, these are actual design problems, right? Because mm-hmm. like you're saying, Wild Shape, it inherently is problematic to say you are a full spellcaster, but also you can do this. And so it only barely works by the concept of, well, I'm going to shut down all your spellcasting while you do this other thing. And then problematically, oops, we forgot that this hit point thing will make you invincible or near invincible and be really unfair. Uh-oh, we better fix that in a revision, right? And, but mm-hmm. it, is, it is a hard task to begin with, but it does need addressing, and I'm glad they see it. And, and, I, and the yeah. Paladin, as fun as it is to crit smite several times around, it's maybe not what the game needs balance-wise and what the role mm-hmm. of the Paladin really should be. And maybe the paladin should have way more flexibility than what everybody thinks they must do with their paladin, because obviously one, you know, you would never, ever cast a spell because you must do this. Um, So I think they did. I mean, I think in in this case, like if I look at the cleric and the rogue, I think those are two classes that work really well. Why are you doing anything with the druid and the paladin? I say, yes, these for sure need some tweaks to their major, major appeal, appeal areas, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I I can definitely see that, and I wish they had just said that. I wish they had said, "With the Druid and the Paladin, we see these problems, mm-hmm. and th- th- this is how we're going to fix it." And at least that way, you know where to focus your, you know, your rage if if that's your, if if that's your thing. But right, uh-huh. your, your consideration, yeah. in, instead of. You know, instead of going all the way back to what is a druid really? Forget rules, yeah. forget that. What's a druid and what stories do we want the druid to to flow forth from yeah. the druid? And yeah. And I agree with you that still when it comes to the the even the current version of of wild shaping, you know, you can't turn into a tiny creature and you can't fly for until uh ninth level and can't wild uh, can't uh swim until seventh level and these are really high levels of play for what we know most players do and when i think of what is the concept of a druid forget any mechanics or history of the game i just think to myself like you know wild shape into like a raven and go look in the second story window or turn into an insect and crawl into the door or swim across the moat and you're telling me i can't do these things but i'm actually could have very low hit points it could be quite fun and risky and i think most players would like that kind of play if i think of just random player that doesn't know anything and i just sit them at the table and i say turn into something that's the kind of utility and approach they'd want rather than like 
just being a combat beast, right? Which is what the, right. the game has been doing. And and when you try to balance combat beast, but you're also a spellcaster, you're only going to get but so good a combat beast. Now you're going to be disappointed in the druid. <laughs> So I hope those right. masterclass videos and those design videos talk about things like this, because I think that would be good for fans to kind of hear. Like, yeah. the, these for are sure. hard problems to solve. Right. But but um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And and also, you know, if we said go back, forget the rules. Just what should this do? Then you say in your design, what does the game what do what does this game we are creating call it whatever you want 1D and D 6E 5.5 what do we how do we expect it to be played and how can we make it be what we ex, what the players expect yeah. it to be with with staying balanced the the thing that you're talking about right the turning into an insect the can it be game breaking possibly so how could it be game breaking well if you stay like in bird form for five hours, you could fly this far. So make it a minute instead of mm -hmm. five hours. Now you're giving that flexibility, but you've put a limit on it. So you can mm -hmm. let them fly up to the window, look in, but they have to get out of there yeah. then, or they can crawl under the door, but then they have to crawl right back. And right. so you can make those sorts of design decisions to say at low levels, this is our po expected power level and expected range of abilities. Play around with it in that way uh, to to make it to conform to how you expect the play to be. Yeah, it's, so, it's, a, it's an interesting task. I, I'm very curious because I, I think the feedback is going to be very uh, negative. And, I'm, and this is one where I'm wondering, you know, will they be able to from the feedback pull something that lets them move forward. I, you know, I've said this many times. I loved how D&D Next would do a thing. We would hate aspects of it or dislike or love aspects of it. And then something totally different would show up. And then the last piece was an interesting, it, it, it fed off of the learnings that mm -hmm. took place in all of those, right? It wasn't that they just right. said no to a thing or yes to a thing, but rather that all of that, they were able to gather the right data to, at the end, come up with a very good 5e. Yeah. And, and I hope that's what happens here, rather than just, oh, I, well, let's go back to what we had. Or I don't think it can happen, Teos. And the, yeah. the, the problem is, is because we're just, we're just moving the furniture around the room, mm. right? We're not bringing new furniture into the room. We're not changing the room. And so what worked for that was you could try these absolutely out yeah, there things and take the best of it here we're we're going from instead of going from a to z we're going from y to z and how much yeah. can you do between y and z yeah yeah, yeah there's no, always sure. this there's always the well that's how it is now so why are you complaining about that we you've been playing with it for 10 years I, right? that's At, that's the other supremely interesting part that I heard. So they were talking about the paladin and how it may be slightly stronger in some ways. And they said, you know, at, at high levels, and they're saying, but don't worry, because we're going to be making your, your monsters more powerful. And I go, wow, this 0.5 edition, you know, 5.5, it, it's getting like, yes, compatible, but it's compatible the way the third edition and 3.5 were, which is to say that everybody ended up buying new books, right? It's, and, and yet, yeah. like, as you said, you're, you're setting these constraints to where you can only change but so much. And yet everybody's going to end up with a new book, right? It's, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what did you think about the paladin? And is there anything you want to talk about more with the druid? No, I think that's good. I mean, there are various interesting pieces and, and I, you made a note there, there are folks can look in our show notes. If you're on our Patreon, um, there are a number of comments here that, that I thought were really good that, that, that you made. Um, I think the paladin, you know, the big thing is divine smite, uh, being once per turn, uh, you cannot do it if you have cast a spell. Mm-hmm. So that's really fascinating. Um, but you get some other flexibilities, so it's sort of, uh, you know, slightly less powerful and more conditional. Um, I thought that was interesting. Um, some of the, the there are some other tweaks that, that I thought were pretty decent. Uh, they, they tried to turn down some things like the R of protection. You know, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I was fine with sort of limiting the smiting a bit. And uh, the the addition or subtraction, I should say, it sounds like you can smite at range now. Yeah, that's I, true. That wasn't something you could do before, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and you can do it unarmed and, and you have more flexibility right. about how. So, you know, for me, the paladin has always been this sort of strange mild healer strong buffer smite uh you know triggering sort of all things you it was probably one of the most powerful classes if you take into account the bonus to uh saving throws that it gives its allies uh because that plus four plus five is is huge so in, to be able to smite constantly, especially against undead and fiends, to really bump that up, uh, was I was fine with that getting taken down a, a, a level. Uh, yeah, I think some of this could still. I mean, aura of protection to me is fundamentally problem mm-hmm. that is hard to mitigate. It, it's 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 a you know it's just it they have such big effects on the game, right? Those kinds of uh, features and it's in, in, in the idea that you have such a strong effect on the encounter design or how the encounter plays out on whether you have a particular class there or not is is mm, don't love it yeah and t- i'd be fine with it working better at higher levels they do give you a, an increased range at higher levels right. but i'm i'm almost i would almost be tempted to make it at lower levels, you can use a reaction to give someone a bonus, mm-hmm. or you can use one of your channel divinities to give someone a bonus to their armor class. You know, that sort of thing to make it more uh, event-based rather than constant. Uh, yeah. But yeah, for me, the Paladin's always been just able to do too much and be too good at too much um yeah well sean we have a lot of news uh do we want to try to hit a few other ones uh let's do that and, and let's listeners do that. if you had other things that you other thoughts about the druid and the paladin let us know i'm curious what folks think uh am i yeah. the only one who loves the druid how do you feel about the paladin um let us know yep so the avatar legend starter box is being sold in target 
So this Kickstarter from Magpie Games got almost $10 million on Kickstarter. And I, apparently when you get $10 million with your Kickstarter, without knowing how much you have to hand over to, you know, the last airbender folks or whatever, apparently you can make a box set and get it in target, awesome. which to me is huge D and D news, yeah. believe it or not. Right. Because we, you know, we want wizards to do well because we want more players in, in the game to give us more options, more products, more channels, more, more things that we can express our love of the game. And if a non D and D game can do that even better, yeah, that's true. Yeah, then you have and, more ways that people could come into the whole hobby. That'd be great. Right. Now, I, I have not seen the uh, Avatar Legends RPG. I have been told it's based on, uh, you know, it's an, a Powered by the Apocalypse right. sort of engine. If you had told me three years ago that in Target will be a box set for a game other than D&D, and it will be a Powered by the Apocalypse engine game, I would have yeah. said, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, here we are. So mm-hmm. it it gives me hope. I hope it sells very well. Yeah. And not only does I hope it sells very well, I hope people pick it up and play it uh, or at least try to play it because even the people that backed it on Kickstarter, many of them had no idea what the game system was. Right. They didn't even it's just the think concept, about it. Right. Just enjoyment exactly. of the property. Yeah. So I was I was pleased to hear that, and I hope it does well. Uh, any thoughts on that? No, no, I think you're spot on with that. I think a, so. Th- this next piece I thought made me laugh. So WizKids has made a light another another of their life sized figures, <laughs> and it's a mimic, which is funny because of course they failed at making it not look like a mimic. It it because it, it doesn't you know articulate anything. It's just a thing. And it is the chest with the mouth, you know, tongue kind of coming out and the teeth and stuff. So for $375, you get this chest with fangs and a huge tongue. Uh, it does look really cool you know, <laughs> if you can spend $375 on it. But I thought that was sort of funny that, you know, the whole idea of a mimic is, is sort of the, the way that it surprises you. And this does not surprise you, but it looks this, cool. That, that, it does not surprise. Well, I'll tell you what, Tails, I will sell you something for $300. I swear to you, it's a mimic. Um, you, it might not ever show itself, but trust me, it is a mimic. I mean, I could just see them going through the the discussion of it. They're like, this, oh, can't this just bowl. Like a <laughs> yeah, it's a mimic. This bowl, it's 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 a mimic. Three hundred dollars. Trust me, it's made of platinum. It's a spell component. Uh, exactly. Sure. So that's uh, yeah, that's great. And speaking of monsters, the D and D movie trailer is highlighting some of the monsters from the movie. It includes uh, actors talking through the creatures from the movie, owl bears, intellect devourers, displacer beasts, some new footage that we haven't seen yet, a few new jokes. Uh, what, what did you think of that? I thought it was, you know, first of all, like I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that the actors are engaged like this, right? To have every single one of the actors spend the time, uh, you know, on YouTube like this is great. Like this is the kind of thing you want for this. And they take turns talking about the various monsters. And then one of the ones I liked is they shared some new footage of intellect devourers underground. They look really cool in the in the scene, kind of you know, all moving around with their brainy brain and four legs kind of thing. And this comment is made, one of the characters sharing lore, 
that they are at attracted to high intelligences. And so these intellect drivers just walk right by them as they're like standing still. <laughs> and they're like, well, that's insulting. <laughs> it's just, I'm like, okay, if this movie has things like this, I'm going to have a good time. Like this, this could be really enjoyable. Yep. I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. The, the more. Yeah. The more I see, I'm tr I try not to let my expectations get too high. And so I'm trying not to watch some of these things, but we report on them. So I do. And I'm like, okay, it's still going to be just an average movie. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I don't, but I'm, I'm looking more and more forward to it. So end of the month, we will be there. We'll be ready to rock and roll on the D and D movie. What else is going on? Well, Magic the Gathering has achieved what D&D &D just could not achieve up to this point. And what is that, Teos? Branded things in a freezer case, Sean, which is, yeah. as we know, the goal of all things. It It is. We joked, seriously joked, <laughs> about in, in Spain, the D&D &D branded uh, sandwich meat, the bologna. Mm -hmm. And now we are moving closer to that goal with the Magic the Gathering branded Hot Pockets. Yeah, I mean, branded lunch meats is that high bar that any edition of D&D can aspire to. Uh, we, we, we know that it's nigh untouchable. We came close with the branded nerds candy. And Magic the Gathering mm -hmm. just said, step aside, D&D, and spotted in the freezer aisle of grocery stores was Italian-style meatballs and mozzarella Hot Pockets branded mm -hmm. with Magic the Gathering and featuring a character on it and things. And, and, you know, I, I wish I'd seen this earlier so that I could ask Kyle Brink about this important question. Yeah. You know, when of, are we getting, yeah. When are we yeah. getting our D and D Funyuns? I think is yeah. really. The, There's some times the, the I wake up. Why didn't I ask Kyle about, you know, and this is the one that's yeah. really at the top of the list. Why didn't I press him hard? And I mean, really hard on yeah. the branded lunch meat issue. So if I ever it get the opportunity. It was your Frost Nixon moment and you blew it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yes, last bit of news. The cool name RPG, a community-owned RPG, is kickstarting trying. Um, you want you want to talk about this? Yeah. I mean, I thought this was really fascinating. It, it, it's both sign of the time. Well, it's a sign of the times in several different ways. Um, and I just looked at this crowdfunding for a yet-to-be-named RPG. And the concept is, all right, we're going to have a role-playing game. We are going to build it. It's not built yet. But it will include a perpetual, irrevocable, royalty-free license for creators. Gee, where did we get that language from? Uh, so mm -hmm. it clearly feeds off of the OGL. And, and, and that alone might not have made me pay attention to it. But... The list of creators is amazing, like Crystal Mazur, Owen Stevens, Matt Forbeck, Kenneth Height, Robin Laws, and it just goes on. Some really fantastic designers. There are, I think, 10 of them named so far. But it's raised uh, 14000 getting close to 15000 with 10 days to go at the time of this recording. And I just kind of think, like, wow, like that is not a lot of money with which to create an RPG, let alone pay off these amazing folks. And and it's a shame because I would love to see those folks create a, a RPG, but maybe it's the 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 way this was positioned. What do you think, Sean? Yeah, I I don't know what you're supposed to do with it. Yeah, I I like the idea, but 
if you know if i want my game i'm going to make my game and so i could see going to publishers mm. and saying hey would you help us fund this but you know with 246 backers i i don't know what was hoped for especially if it's just open content and when it's all done i can just go and use it anyway i yeah i'm sort of confused by what the goal was maybe maybe, the goal was just to make it yeah and maybe the thought was i i can get a a great rpg from these folks and because it's open gaming license people back it but but maybe that was before the days when wizards said you know what we're backing off of of this problem yeah it it, it's yeah it's a tough one um i'd love to see these folks make an rpg but i i want them to have more than this in pay let alone what it takes to make a book uh the other thing is that the plan here is that this would eventually be free to everybody so if you're going to make this free you need your money up front to cover all the costs and uh, you know they've made their funding goal but i suspect they really need a much higher and i mean not suspect i know that it takes more than this amount to make this book properly so so we'll see yeah I when I saw this, I was like, "Ooh, this is really exciting!" And I went and looked at it. Oh, that does not not many people are sharing my excitement with the the uh, cast of characters here who are going to be making this game. And I've just I've seen a lot recently of you know people who had full time jobs in the industry saying, "I'm free for freelancing now." Um, you know, does Vihander? Uh, yeah publisher the mcneil i can't pronounce it mcneil um you know shutting down other places shrinking and i'm just i'm wondering if we're at if this is just a stage and this huge increase in support and gameplay Mm -hmm. of role-playing games is is slowing down for good if it's slowing down temporarily if we even really ever had an increase or if it was just sort of social media awareness making it look like there was an increase uh i mean obviously with D, we saw the sales going up and up but i don't know so i think well if we accept that people coming into D will always mean people coming into other games which i think is probably true right i mean at least so far mm-hmm. almost anybody of consequence will tell you rising tide all boats are lifted disproportionately lifts D, but you know all right. other rpgs because because you have what happened to most of us we start with D, and then we go what's that other game and suddenly we're playing Shadowrun, and we're playing call of cthulhu and paranoia and all these other things because of course um so i think that that it, it is a reality that it's it is a rising tide it does lift all boats but there are so many factors like the pandemic how much of it was the pandemic or how much of it was a reaction to kids not being able to get together and people not being able to get together. I don't, you know, I heard a lot of, because of the demographic of my kids, right? A lot of people that were in middle school and high school ages uh, into it, starting up groups, a lot of energy and excitement and a lot of parents going, yes, please get, my kid physically in a place talking to other people and not on their mm-hmm. phone. <laughs> and unfortunately, what D&D is saying is, let's get them all on a VTT, right? I mean, not exclusively, but yeah. right. And, and so 
So I don't know, you know, I don't know what's going to happen post pandemic and, and what the sales are going to be like. And it's a good question. You might be right. Maybe, maybe this will be a big inflection point. A lot of it may hinge on how good one D&D is and whether it confuses people. You know, the period, uh, the end of yeah. 4E was super confusing. If you walked into a store, you would see just a mess of books on a shelf. And I remember trying to pretend I was a new person. And I think I would have just walked away rather than buy something because there was no clarity as to what you should buy, how, why, right? And, and, and fifth edition mm-hmm. could have, you know, if you look at a store, you can argue that if you walk into many stores today, gaming stores, and you see all of these books, you just don't really know what you should walk away with yeah even yeah. if you start yeah and it's this is something that happens at the end of edition often mm-hmm. and but yeah are we at the end of an edition that we don't even right. know if we are right uh so we don't know what is coming next we can't you can never predict anything with 100 surety will someone but, buy the 5.5 players handbook and the 5e dmg and then go home right. and go, oh, you know, we have no idea, right? So it's going to be fascinating right. to see how that plays. And, and does or that... one of the four starter sets <laughs> that are out that uh-huh. we don't know which is which came after which. Right. Is this for, you know, it's, it's tough. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah, fascinating. So we'll see. Well, that is our news. And now we are going to bring in James Intracasso and Rudy Basso to talk about their new product, to be or not to be a villain. And now on to our main topic this week. We are so very excited to have with us James Intracasso and Rudy Basso, authors of an upcoming book, To Be or Not to Be a Villain. And we want to talk about that, about its design, and about everything that has to do with the project because I am excited about it. I am super Thank excited you. about it, and I got to playtest it. So welcome, Rudy. Welcome, James, to Mastering Dungeons. Thank you for helping us master. Yes, thank you for having us on. Yeah, it's awesome to be here. Thank you so, so much. Huge fan of the show. Mm. Uh, first time caller, uh, long time listener. <laughs> Probably about not. the fifth time caller. Yeah, yeah. fifth time caller. <laughs> if, if I had to guess. <laughs> So for for people out there who don't know who you are specifically, even though I know we've talked about both of you on the show before, could you give us an introduction into who you are in the RPG industry? Start with James. Sure. Uh, I'm James Intergasso. I'm the lead designer for MCDM, which is Matt Colville's uh, publishing company. You've probably heard of that guy before. Um, I also uh, have written for Wizards of the Coast uh, and Cobalt Press and Roll20 and a bunch of other things. Uh, I had a blog and I also ran a podcast network with Rudy for a while. And I'm also here because I am the author of To Be or Not To Be a Villain, which we've already said. So I'm not going to get into that. Rudy. Mm. Yeah, please don't talk about it again for the rest of the podcast. (laughs) Uh, My name is Rudy Basso. I'm a game designer and voice actor. I've worked with Cobalt Press and MCDM and a couple other uh, companies with design, but mostly uh, just hanging out on Twitter, tweeting at people. Um, (laughs) This is my first like big project. I'm really, really excited about it. So to be or not to be a villain, hopefully more in the future. So, you know, we've been doing a whole series. uh, Well, we've started a series on non D&D RPGs Mm. and Mm -hmm. your product 
is both D&D and non-D&D. So it's, it's a nice bridge in that way, but also um, has a number of unusual points that I'm excited to get into uh, because it touches on this sort of thing about how do you change up your play experience and how do you bring other influences into it? So if you, if you haven't been listening to recent episodes, just so you know, that is sort of what's going on in our brains and in some of the brains of our listeners of sort of thinking about things through a different lens, which makes this makes us really excited to have to be or not to be a villain and you guys to talk about it on the show because it ties in so nicely to that. So um, let's let's get into the product, which is an adventure for 5e and Zweihander RPG. And, and the product description I'm going to read here says, take on the role of a lifetime as one of the nine nobles in this tabletop RPG retelling of Hamlet. Going to give a pause for let that sink into everybody. <laughs> in this adventure, players will cooperate and plot against one another for the throne of Denmark. Experience the world of Hamlet like never before in this unique tabletop role-playing game. And then it talks about, you know, Denmark's at war with Norway, and here's what's going on in the story of Hamlet. And we've got become General Claudius, Queen Gertrude, Polonia, Ophelia, Laertes, Horatio, Rosencrantz, Guildenstern, or even young Prince Hamlet. The book contains two adventures, one compatible with fifth edition of the world's oldest role-playing game and the other powered by Zweihander. <laughs> okay, so this is Shakespeare, the adventure experience? Uh, kind of. Um, the concept came a lot from another module that James had run. Which the name escapes me, James. Planet it's called, of the Tarasks. Uh, of, uh, <laughs> no, no. There's a, a great, a, a great module called Of Drow Origin. Yes. That, um, is a it's a game where essentially there is this wedding, and it's sort of, you know, uh, uh, there are these betrayals and backstabs, and there's all these player characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, at, at this wedding, then also some drow are attacking, and. So there are these surface dwellers and the surface dwellers have all their own infighting and murder plots and things like that. And then the drow also have that among themselves and they're coming to take care of the surface dwellers and like who made a pact with a devil mm-hmm. and who's sleeping with who just for the money and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I ran that uh, for a group of friends. And it's for like nine people, nine It's players. for nine people and, and yes. one GM. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and it was a great great time it was very very overwhelming for one person to take it on because it was sort of like it's it's a fifth edition module but it was very much like okay what are you doing okay oh no no, these two people are having conversation over here i gotta go listen okay now wait hold on you go upstairs and you stay here Mm -hmm. and you go over there in the corner and okay now we can like uh what probably should have been about two hours of play took me about you know five or six hours because i had to match (laughs) all of it yeah and i actually wasn't even playing it i was just watching because my game had ended early so i went down and i was really like uh inspired but i love to do like big big games lots of people multiple tables things like that and i in in that uh, module was very romeo and juliet inspired actually Mm. um the wedding is between a drow and a human so Uh it's like oh two different worlds um, so I was like, what other Shakespeare stuff has a ton of characters? <laughs> and as it happens, James and I met doing theater in college and were both members of a Shakespearean community theater group that did an annual Shakespeare show. 
and I had been in Hamlet in college. So we were both familiar with the Bard's works, which is what cool people call Shakespeare. I don't know if you guys knew that. <laughs> um, so we were like, well, what about Hamlet? There's easily nine characters in that. And how can we kind of keep that paranoia aspect of Hamlet, that betrayal aspect of Hamlet, um, the hidden roles? You know, we're both big fans of games like that, like Among Us, like Werewolf. Or, mm-hmm. or some other more hidden role board games. Shadows over Camelot is a big, big one that I love. Yeah. So I wanted a game that still had that large amount of people, still had that level of intrigue and questioning, and something we could kind of take as a jumping off point with Hamlet that theater kids would know about it and be excited <laughs> by it, or just fans of Shakespeare could kind of be like, oh, this is familiar but different. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Since since the beginning of D&D, especially at conventions, they've had what they called out classic adventures, some of which were turned into modules. But, you know, a lot of it had to do with these sort of secrets or these intrigues between characters. Mm-hmm. But it was sort of very surface things. So you could get some fun role playing out of it. But in the end, it was just an adventure where you were still storming the dragon's lair. Mm. But, you know, you you and the paladin didn't get along because the paladin is all good and stuff and you were the rogue and stuff. So, <laughs> you know, how how is it similar to that? But how is it different? And, James, how do you solve the I want to run this in two hours, but it's going to take six hours mm. because there's only one DM <laughs> problem? Uh, that's, that's a great question. It's, uh, so one of the things that I think we figured out and, uh, is that you don't really need a lot of other challenges. If you're pitting the players against each other, what you need to do is create scenarios where they can, uh, exploit those connections and relationships that they have for storytelling. Um, and so, and, and that's not to say that you don't occasionally all get together and fight a big creature or that kind of thing, but it's few and far between because as we know in Hamlet, right? Like the main players are often trying to kill each other and you don't have to know Hamlet to get behind this story. That was a big mm, thing we wanted. Yes. And if you know Hamlet, uh, things are different. For instance, the, the person who murders the king at the beginning of the module could be one of several people instead of just one predetermined person, right? Um, could be several of those people working together. Um, so we wanted to to make sure that we were like changing up things that people knew and making it more accessible for somebody who, who only knew of Hamlet through the Lion King or Star Wars or, you know, all of these <laughs> other iterations of Hamlet that we have. Um, but the uh, having uh, so the module has rules for one player or one GM and up to six people. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you have more than six people, we say that you should use two GMs. And that way there's a GM who can uh, go with people into a side room and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, have these scenes and that sort of thing. And then we also put a mechanism in place that controls how many of those side scenes happen right so that only one can happen at once and when they happen they're only five minutes so those people get back to the table and it's not a half hour and Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing so we've we've put those you have basically story tokens you can spend uh to uh to do that kind of thing we also made it really long uh it probably (laughs) takes about 
12 hours yeah. to play. We yeah. structured it in a way that there are kind of built-in stopping points. The game is played through five acts, each of which represent a different day. Um, and in between each act, there's kind of this night phase, which is another kind of new mechanic stuff we added. But it, it's kind of built in where if you only have two hours, hey, we can do act one today. And we can do the night phases over email. They work perfectly um, remotely. In fact, that's probably better because everything, they're all hidden things that you do that you don't share with other players. And then next time we get together, we can do act two. Maybe we have some more time. We can go into act three, kind of like that. So yeah, it, it is a game that will take longer. You'll have to invest the time and to play it through all the way, but it doesn't all have to be done in one session or anything like that. When I was marathon. really impressed as a play tester, mm. at, you know, and, and I don't know, you know, how much you revised since I play tested. Some of my knowledge is tainted by being in the early days. But I, from the very beginning, you had both kind of, I thought, come up with these, these concepts you're talking about are very clever and very effective at creating the right experience, right? Because if I was just told, hey, here's your plot, go to it, well, I might just start stabbing people and then they're not going to get to play for very long, right? But each of these acts has something going on, right? It has a plot to it that keeps us focused. We all have to do things together while also looking to see how you can exploit it for your gain. Mm -hmm. and, and so these tokens, like, I, I hope you share a little more about it because I thought that was a really smart move of how you're going to gain this currency and then spend it. And that's a way that you're doing the backstabbing and, and that doesn't have to be directly confrontational, right? Yes. Yeah, so we added a mechanic with these, uh, we called them story tokens. And I think at the start of the game, everyone's given two. And then there are other opportunities to gain them through good role playing. I think uh, the GMs can give them out like inspiration or they're just like built in. Hey, you did a cool thing. Whoever does this gets a story token. And the way those are played is you hold up your story token to the GM. The, the, uh, we have two GMs. One is the director. The other is the playwright. So you show the playwright your story token and you say, I'd like to start a side scene and I'd like to take, you know, Hamlet, Polonia. You can take as many people as you want. And then the GM or the playwright and the players go off. That story's token is used. That's the only one that needs to be used. No one else spends their story token if they go along. And as James says, you get five minutes to talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> and, you know, that's a great way. We've had players just do that to make people un, like unsettled. <laughs> Uh, just to kind of mess with the other players' minds. And then they just like talk about their days or whatever. <laughs> just like, let's go have a side scene. It'll make everyone else uncomfortable. Because there's a lot of like that inherent thing. When you see yeah. someone or someones go off and talk about something by themselves, those, you know, your brain starts working and starts thinking, what could they be talking about? Are they talking about <laughs> me? That's my ally. Why are they going off and not taking me? What's going on? So we're really happy with that that mechanic and i think it, it works a lot in this kind of game yeah one of the most fun things when we were playtesting would be after the playtest rudy and i would sit together and, it, and we would be like okay so what happened when i wasn't in the room right and yeah. it was like oh you missed this and oh the like in the side scene this happened and uh so that was always really fun to to see and it is this thing uh, you know what we're talking about right like 
there are scenes where it might be a hunt that you're participating in together or a tournament, right? Like a tourney or, uh, you know, uh, negotiations uh, with different people. Um, and this is all leading up to on the last day mm. among you, you vote survivor style uh, <laughs> as to who will be the new monarch yes. of Denmark, right? Um, meanwhile, the vampire king Fortinbras is like put pushing down on you, and so there are these pressures to try to like impress people and do well. And if you do well, you might win a story token, or you might have to spend a story token to to do well in some mm. things. And it's like, well, now I'm giving up this currency. I need to plot, right? Mm. And so there's there's that kind of thing. And you do definitely need as the game goes on, right towards the end, it's like. I need to talk to you. Are you willing to spend a story token because I'm out mm -hmm. to, to pull us into a side scene? And that person could be like, no, no way. I've got enough out. I don't need you. Right. And it's great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that, that reminded me of high school for a second there. But... Oh, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh no. Okay. Uh, it was, it's like it was high school, wonderful. but you can stab your bullies. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And maybe talk a little more about sort of the some of the plot angles of what's going on and, and with Fortinbras and, and uh, you know, yeah. how, do you, so how do you keep people moving forward? Every character has their own background. Uh, I have the book. Let me show some stuff off. Like every character has a background about who they are and what they're doing. They have an opening goal, which can change, you know, as the game plays organically. Um, and they have relationships with every other character. Mm. Um, they're not super in-depth, but there's enough to go off of. Enough to say, like, hey, you love this person. They're your son. Obviously, you care a ton about them. Or, hey, you don't like this guy because uh, your daughter was supposed to marry him, but now that his father's dead, you don't really care about him anymore. He gives you, like, there's no benefit to being uh, friends with him. So there's a lot of the plot already baked in when you start the game. Because again, as James said, this is ultimately about the relationships you have with other people. And that's where a lot of the fun is. But as James also mentioned, like the king has died in our version of Hamlet. After five days of a council ruling, a new monarch is going to be voted on amongst those council members. So he the new the new king will be or new monarch will be crowned. Um, so that's part of what's happening, but at the same time in our world, again, uh, Norway has been at war with Denmark for the last hundred years. Fortinbras is a vampire. He has armies of undead legions and a truce has literally within the past few months, just a truce, not a peace, not a formal peace, a truce has been set up with them, um, depending on which version of the game you play by either Claudius or the late King. Um, and so that is also a huge thing that's weighing on everybody's mind and kind of the result of, hey, we've had this war for a long time. It's over. We have all these soldiers coming back into the cities. We don't have jobs for them. What do we do? There's a lot um, going on that's pretty exciting that the players have on their minds as they're making these problems, as they're dealing with the the who will be the new ruler and things like that. And I like that a lot because it made me playing my character feel really tied to the setting and the story because mm -hmm. I felt like, you know, the rest of you aren't seeing this important angle, right? Or some of you aren't understanding that this, this danger like, because the, the characters are sort of positioned to these different outlooks. And so how you feel about particular issues registers differently for you. 
And it creates this real invested nature in the, in the players where they want mm -hmm. to say, well, my character, you know, really wants this particular outcome, uh, which may be as simple as becoming monarch, but it can be, you know, like I want what's good for, for the nation. And mm -hmm. we really think it's this. And, and then of course there are people with very different viewpoints. And I, I found that really interesting how, you know, folks were really, they were really invested in what their characters wanted to accomplish. And that, that made it really cool too. And I, I'd go as far as saying that this is, you know, it's almost a, well, not almost, it is a, a clinic, a guide to how you can do this with, with a home campaign, right. To, to take this idea. It's something I struggle with as DM to have larger world things matter to various characters in different ways that's a that's a I, i'm impressed with how you pulled that off yeah and we really got there through the playtesting mm. and uh, oh. you know we we put these characters out at the beginning in, in our first playtest and we got a lot of feedback that uh you know we we stuck pretty close to the story of hamlet at the beginning like you know, it was for sure that uh, Claudius and Gertrude had murdered the king together, right? Like this whole kind of mm -hmm. thing, or that Claudius murdered the king. And then um, people were saying whoa, things whoa, like... Whoa, spoilers for Hamlet. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, Hamlet. sorry. Spoilers. <laughs> Anything in the public domain, uh, you can spoil. Those are the rules uh, Walt Disney told me. Um, so this but this idea right that people were like well i felt like i had to do this because i was assigned this role or it felt like everybody knew to be against me already or you know i just didn't feel well developed or i didn't feel like i had enough connections to care about anything right like mm. all of that feedback from players was so good and it was like okay let's see if we can you know go back and tweak Guildenstern to make give him more of a connection to this world or let's go and see what we can do to make ophelia more interesting right like that kind of thing um really helped us and then the other thing that really kicked it up was uh when we decided we would make not just the D&D version, but the Zweihander version. Um, instead of just doing a straight conversion, the Zweihander version is like a totally different story. So the Hamlet, that information that Rudy was showing, right? Like Hamlet has all of these relationships and this bio, and that changes based on which version you're playing, right? Hamlet is a totally different person with some different motivations and that kind of thing in the Zweihander version. The events mm -hmm. that each act is centered around are different in the Zweihander version than they are in the 5e version. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even so like could, you, could you tell us why? Yeah, uh, well, well, our publisher asked us to do a Zweihander version. <laughs> That's their game. Right. And we're like, oh, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. And we were just like, well, we've already got the groundwork laid out. Like, we have did all of the development of what this game is going to be. Now let's just plug it in to be a different and more interesting experience. It's not like, as James, all the characters, even the world is different. Like, the level mm -hmm. of technology is different. It's more... I guess we, we always it was more Zweihander, I guess. It's a darker, mm. kind of grimmer, as James always says, it's a more Witcher world mm. versus the high fantasy of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, it's even like more steampunk, like the level, as I said, the level of technology is different. It's not high fantasy. There are guns. There's uh like well, guns. So yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, there's just gun a different and... feeling. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and the mechanics in Zweihander support a different kind of story, and so we wanted to do that, right? And and mm. the publisher sort of would have been happy with a straight conversion, I think, but we wanted to, 
it was twofold, right? One, we mm. wanted to better show off each system, right? So the D and D version has magic and is very high fantasy, fantastical. You meet some, you know, uh, in addition to the vampires and undead, there are some other real fantastic creatures and stuff like that. Zyander is a horror fantasy game, and so there are rules for things like infection, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, there's this whole fortune misfortune mechanic, and you can gain chaos and order and and all this kind of stuff. And so we wanted to better support mm -hmm. that, and and so the story is different, right? Because so so in this more witchery, uh, steampunky uh, world that has gunpowder and infection and medicines and corruption and stuff like that. We thought, well, like this Hamlet's rife for all that kind of stuff too. Hamlet's rife for murder and bad. So I hander might be a better system <laughs> for telling a Hamlet story. Right. And so, um, it, it was funny. There were a lot of things about five E when we were doing it that we were like, Oh boy, zone of truth. Really uh, makes yes. this game hard to yes. play. Uh, and so we had to, we had to like. That's how we stumbled upon. Your pregens have to use these spells and none, yes. no, no other ones because oh. like speak with dead and right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so <laughs> we were able to with Spyhander, Some of that flexibility was already built in because it's not expected that you can cast zone of truth to begin yeah. with. Right. And yeah. so, uh, so yeah, very, yeah. very different. We wanted to support Again, each system. Characters don't get a full character sheet. They get mm. basically a monster stat block mm -hmm. wow. because, and this actually tails again, your play test was incredibly important. PVP broke out and PVP took a long time because everybody was going through all their five or all their spells and um so and, were, and it was like eight versus characters. one <laughs> exactly <laughs> it was like everybody zone of truth was a problem yes yeah. yes yeah. uh fun fun story that there were three zone of truths at once not super fun <laughs> to adjudicate in the midst of um, yeah and it also led to things like we wanted to have everybody feel different and we initially made everybody a, a class right and it was like oh well i'm the ranger half of my stuff is not useful in this sort of urban intrigue yeah. city <laughs> thing you've set up. And it was like, oh yeah, that's a good point. So now we could just say, you know, there are mechanics in everybody's stat block that just go with the mechanics we built for the game, the mm -hmm. story tokens, mm -hmm. uh, the, the night actions, right? Mm -hmm. uh, during your night phase, you get to take one unique night action. That's like, Hey, during the night, I, made some poison that now I'm going to use to murder somebody or I sent I spread a rumor about this other member of the council who's here uh, that kind of thing and so uh, each character has a unique night action that's in their stat block mm -hmm. yeah that was really fun and and I liked there were some general things you could do like you could spy on someone right mm -hmm. that was that was a use of a token and and it was fun to think through like okay well I can do my special thing or, but I also really want to know what so-and-so is up to. But then <laughs> it was hard to choose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you could protect someone too, mm -hmm. right? So you could you could maybe, oh, well, if I spy on Hamlet, is Gertrude going to protect him? Oh no, right? Like there was always that sort of thing of like, is this a waste of my night action to, right. to do this? And so that was fun to to do too. Yeah. And and you could block someone else. You you knew that yeah. person's gonna try to do a thing, so you you block them. Yeah, that's cool. My my biggest problem with the rule set was the part that led to me uh, jumping out a window with uh, <laughs> of a tower with Featherfall and someone dispelling it. I thought that was really a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's to me, that's 
grade A D and D. That's peak. <laughs> it's peak role playing game, right? There. It was really fun, and and I did survive, which barely. But um, <laughs> but I, I think I I ended up the rest of my experience was, uh, and I was playing the queen. I yeah. was crawling around the rooftops using my my spells to try to still influence things, sort of without anyone murdering me because everybody <laughs> else was going to murder me on sight. And I thought that was really yeah, awesome. that was one where like we need to solidify Gertrude's alliances <laughs> so it's not eight versus one. Even the king was like, "Whoa, yeah, Gertrude did it!" Like he really went back to the drawing board and made mm-hmm. her have more friends. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, it was it was hard. Everybody wanted to murder me. That's for sure. There's <laughs> From a, the one other thing. <laughs> right yeah yeah there's and it's funny because we played with a lot of people who knew the story of hamlet and they would target claudius but they definitely targeted gertrude more and it was like it was How? but yeah. she's not what is going on so yeah we learned a lot about like do we have inherent sexism baked <laughs> in? Like, what do we, what do we need to examine about ourselves? Um, but it was good, and we really got there with the help of of a lot of testing and and mm-hmm. editing and stuff like that. The other thing I need to say about this book is that uh, the book flips over. So when you play this Vihander version, uh, you just flip it over, and the D and D version is on the other side. So it's this two sided. Fun Sweet. book. I just showed it off. Podcast audience, I know you can't uh, yeah. see it, mm. but t- it's cool. Take our word. It's okay. We've, we've enabled smell audio, so uh, they can smell Ooh, the book. No. It's oh, nice. boy. I should have showered. I think we're trust me. In, so. The book was beautiful, and James is very graceful. Yeah. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yes, it didn't okay. start out upside down, and then when I flipped it over, it was still upside down. I wasn't <laughs> coordinated flipping though was really nice between James oh, and Rudy. Nice. That was uh, uh, it was like synchronized <laughs> swimming at the Olympics. It. No, it was yeah. really good. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, how did you approach the design of this? Like, you'd had this earlier influence, but but you know, you, you guys are like, okay, let's do something based on Hamlet. Did you work on the story first or the characters? Like, how did you develop this? What was your process? I'm trying to remember. We started this like three or four years ago. <laughs> See, yeah, I'm glad to hear that because I always feel like it's my projects that take a million years. So I'm glad to hear I'm not the only one. No, no. I, uh, do you remember? I so Rudy, I was going to say you came to me sort of with an outline. You you already oh, had this idea oh, of good five job, acts, um, and uh, and you were like, you know, and and something it culminates in something and i don't think we knew exactly what yet and because it originally we had this idea of like again sticking very close to hamlet and it's like no claudius is the king yeah and pretty quickly into the design we realized like oh that means he just gets to do whatever, <laughs> do whatever he wants, he wants. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and so that's how we came upon this idea of like well what would be interesting would be like if if at the end this council votes and picks the monarch, that's fun because then it gives you uh, something to aim for other than like originally it was just like, I want to murder everyone else and be the last person standing. And that wasn't as fun as, hey, maybe I could be the monarch. Maybe maybe me, Laertes, the, the guy everyone forgets could be the monarch if I play my cards right. That was cool. That's cool. Yeah, very nice. nice. So what what can we... 5e Zyhander players steal from your design <laughs> that would work in our regular D&D campaigns because it sounds like you really had to put a lot of thought into making something that is like 5e that is meant to tell a certain kind of story 
Mm-hmm. You're making it work to tell a different kind of story. Yeah. And maybe we want that different kind of story in our campaign. So what are we stealing from you? <laughs> I think you could definitely <laughs> steal story tokens, mm. right? Especially if you have the kind of table where it's like you're constantly breaking off into side scenes. Um, it's a really good way to control that even with one gm right if you if you're just one gm it gives people this resource to spend of like okay we're we're gonna go over here we're gonna have a side scene we're gonna talk it's only gonna last five minutes everybody else hit the head and uh you know and we will be back in five minutes uh i think that can be a a helpful thing um there's also with his vihander so Zvihander has this uh, corruption mechanic that I had mentioned earlier, this like order versus chaos where you're gaining order ranks and chaos ranks. Um, uh, and normally you need to get 10 of them uh, to uh, for it to mean a significant thing for your character. Uh, but for us, uh, it's a shorter game. You're not going to have a chance to earn 10. You have a chance to earn maybe five, right? You earn one after each act. And so if you're playing a shorter Zweihander game, um, you can borrow some of the mechanics we've created to support a shorter Zweihander game then and and make it work uh, a little easier for you. I just love the idea of doing something at night. Obviously, our game, all the night actions are kind of, um, mm-hmm. you know, malevolent in a lot of ways. But if you have your party and, you know, if you want to take it to a more realistic simulation level, like... What does everyone do during that? Do you just rest? That's yeah. fine. Do you stay up late to brew a potion? Do you take guard duty and um, the rest of the group has a safer sleep? Just giving them options for things to do during. That's just like an overlooked aspect of D&D. Just, oh, yeah, we, you wake up the next morning. But if you're out adventuring in the woods, someone might want to do something instead of <laughs> sleep. So. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's a really neat idea. It's almost like downtime, but in the evening, sure. right? Like, yes. like evening downtime. That's a focused, you know, thing with a few parameters and 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 also ideas, right? You guys would adjudicate some things as well, where oh, someone yeah. would say, "I want to always... do not quite this, not quite that." That's where spending the story token as a currency in other ways came, like the do, do whatever you want action. Just <laughs> tell us what you want to do, and we'll figure it out. And mm-hmm. It might be you want to go exhume the corpse of the late king to see if he was poisoned. (laughs) So you find out, yes, he was. (laughs) There's a lot of open, yeah, a lot of open actions. We had one player ride out to Fortinbras' camp at one point to try and negotiate with him. Um, Oh, yeah. That was cool. There's a lot of it's a it's a very fun game because it has a lot of those oh remember when moments that you can you can go over with your with your friends who played it with you absolutely Uh, it's a really nice piece of writing i'm excited to see well at least as an experience i'm excited to get my hands on it i've pre-ordered it so oh and sean did too me too oh my gosh thank you both that's very kind of you yeah uh, it's kind of you to write it because uh, I there aren't <laughs> enough there aren't enough experiences like this that that really put a, apply a new lens right to to the experience. It, it's it's very much out of the typical like okay you know six of you are going to go into a dungeon and come out with loot right. This is a very different experience and that's awesome to see and I love learning from things like that. Yeah, and it is. I mean, it's a. Uh... <laughs> It, it's hard we get it to get that many people together to play this game mm-hmm. um 
However, uh, it's definitely doable online is one of the things we learned. Every playtest we had of this um, that Rudy and I were involved in was online. Um, and you can set up a like a fun Discord server so that people have private channels to talk to you. And uh, that makes it really quick and easy. Um, so it is definitely a, a doable remote thing. It's also doable in person. Um, and it's also doable with fewer than nine players. Like we said, you could probably have as few as six. Although, if you can get nine players and two mm. GMs together, highly, highly mm. recommend it. Um, so I don't know, maybe next time, uh, uh, we're all at a convention, we should see if we can make yeah, this happen one day. Really and the cool. book does have like everything again, I'm showing something. Sorry, listening audience, but there are story tokens that you can mm -hmm. punch out. There's a rumor deck that you can punch out. So this, mm -hmm. this works kind of like a box set, even though it's just oh. a book, everything you need to play the game is in here. Um, mm -hmm. except for the, like the SRD rules or whatever. It looks really wonderful. The 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 examples you're showing is that one of the reasons you you decided to go with with McNeil for the publishing of it is it looks really uh, nice quality. Yeah. So James had already been working with them on Eternal Night of Lockwood, a full wow. campaign for Zvihander <laughs> that you can purchase now. Um, <laughs> and he had a really great experience. And we were kind of you know kicking around the idea: do we do we want to self publish this? Do we want to approach another publisher? It's just kind of like a weird thing. So mm -hmm. we weren't sure how uh, publishers would receive it, but we sent them a pitch and they were very receptive to the idea. Um, and the whole experience was fantastic. Um, yeah. Yeah. They've done a couple other kind of out of the box products. There's one called Neverland, mm -hmm. which was a take on the Neverland story and Peter mm -hmm. Pan, but a very dark kind of take uh it actually had like a sequel book called oz which is like the wizard of oz version so we knew they were into uh retellings of classic literature <laughs> so we kind of got that in with them um yeah. but yeah we've been really pumped and i'm so proud of this book is really high quality it's you know yeah. to hear someone talk about their own book and brag about it that's not really you fair, should no it, absolutely that's great that's awesome yeah great. I yeah. mean, we should absolutely yeah, mention the art by Art oh, Teapot. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, the artist is just uh, incredible. Art Teapot, uh, their their work uh, is uh, is phenomenal in this book, and and is really really incredible. And and is part of like uh, they even did the cover design and everything like that. Looks really stylized and cool and gave a different look to um the uh you know like the the characters in one are look different than mm. the characters in mm. another um and there's also uh there's a theme there's a pet theme that i challenge <laughs> listeners to discover uh when they look uh that there's a specific one for the D, D one and a specific one for the zweihander one okay i'm excited i'm challenged challenge accepted <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> Thank so, you. Teus, did you have any other questions uh, before we take No, off? it's it's wonderful. Uh, I'd like to spend all the time talking to you guys, but this is great. Thank uh, you, thank you for having us. Yeah, we'll appreciate such a unique product. That's great. Um, anything you guys are up? Where, well, let's go. Where can we find you and tell us what you're up to? Uh, James, start it off. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I'm at James Intracaso on Twitter, I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Um, and, uh, right now I'm just cranking away on stuff at, uh, for MCDM. Um, so, uh, we got this monster book called flea mortals and we're also 
sort of live blogging our experience creating an original RPG over on the MCDM Patreon, if you're yeah. interested in seeing uh, what it's like when we say, this is how uh, this is going to work. And then we come back and say, no, it's not. Not anymore. <laughs> Did you all get excited about that? Sorry. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what we're doing over there. <laughs> that's the reality of making a game for, for a team of people as well, right? Where you get so excited about the thing you've created and then someone else goes, you know, it would be better this one. You're like, yeah, it would be. Mm. Yeah, it would be. It would be, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. We're, we're having a blast working on our, our game over there as well. Um, so, but uh, but yeah, that's that's what's going on with me. How about you, Rudy? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Rudy Basso. I have something coming out in Flea Mortals. There's an evil party that I made. Mm-hmm. So watch out for them. They'll eat you. Um, literally, because they want to eat people. Fun. Uh, other than that, just just hanging out, <laughs> listening to <laughs> podcasts. And... Fantastic. Well, I love your work in Arcadia. With... That was really nice. Oh yeah, that's yeah. I wrote an article about eating monsters, so I've turned, I've gone one eighty. <laughs> My first article, you. the monster, you could eat the monsters. Now they want to eat you. Yeah, I've I found the theme. <laughs> also, I'm hungry. <laughs> yes, exactly. and uh, well, thank you both for being here, Teos. Uh, where can people find you? Oh, unfindable. Find me at the Forge of Foes Kickstarter. That's where you can find me. Yes. Yes, I'm sure we've already talked about that in our news section, though. Yeah. <laughs> Ed, you can find our show uh, on Twitter at Mastering D&D, also on Mastodon. You can find us on YouTube at our own Mastering Dungeons channel, which now has over a thousand subscribers. Ooh, yeah. Wow. Congrats. Yeah, we're, we're feeling it. So thank you all. And now that we're done, what are we going to do now? We're going to go kill Hamlet. <laughs> Or one of the other nine characters. Yes, or one of the other, or all nine characters. Oh. Yeah. TPK, <laughs> Shakespeare TPK, I'm, I'm here for it. It's not most Shakespeareans. Yeah. <laughs>